Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, a podcast about all things role-playing games. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. And I'd just like to add that the US Gamer RPG podcast is also for cool people. So if you're a cool person, <laughs> you should be listening right now. I mean, everybody who listens to this podcast, you're automatically cool in the eyes of the blood god. You are totally big old cool. thumbs up. Because I sure didn't have that authority when I was in middle school to give to tell people you're cool. I am just coming back from a week-long vacation where I relaxed and played some Genshin Impact, actually. And now I am back in the swing of things, talking about role-playing games. How has your week been going, Nadia? Oh, it's been a week. You know how weeks are. They can they can sometimes just be a week, and uh, that it describes my week. It was a week. Well, there couldn't be anything happening right now that would be raising your stress level. Can't imagine what it would be. No, everything's just peachy. <laughs> well, let's take your mind off of the events of the world and the world being on fire by talking about RPGs. Some things that we're going to cover today. The next-gen news continues apace. As we learn more and more about the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 in the run-up to release. Also, Assassin's Creed Valhalla previews drop, so we'll be discussing a little bit about that. Talk about Yakuza 7, Level 5, ceasing operations in North America, at least according to reports, more or less. And we are going to take a couple of questions from the mailbag, including including the underappreciated RPG subgenres that can get an injection of life. and the JRPGs that aren't really JRPGs, or at least not very anime. If you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor, leave us a review. We always enjoy hearing from you, and it helps the visibility of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catpod. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash catbaileytv, and Nadia is at actonkitten. We also have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what's the topic of the newsletter this week? Well, this week's topic might be a little bit repetitive because when we did the podcast last week, we just got a tiny teaser of the Monster Hunter movie that's coming out. And shortly thereafter, the full trailer came out, like I think it was um, a minute and something or other. And as I kind of predicted, or we kind of predicted looking at the teaser trailer that preceded it, it it looks really bland, (laughs) really boring. I mean... It, it, when I was thinking about when I the thing I like about Monster Hunter, and this is something I brought up in the newsletter, just basically the the newsletter was one big fetch session. Um, the thing I like about Monster Hunter is how you it kind of emulates the way we hunted our ancestors hunted, where we would kind of injure an animal as far as we could and let it lope away, and we'd follow it, and it's kind of a grim scenario, but. When you're a, a bipedal naked ape, it was the best we could do. And I think Monster Hunter really kind of captures that essence of excitement of stalking a prey and, and finding them and delivering that final blow. And I think it's a, a good way to kind of sate that instinct without really hurting actual animals. But with the Monster Hunter trailer, what you have is people with like army people and jeeps going with their guns and stuff and shooting at okay there's diablos we saw diablos great uh let's let's shoot guns at it that's just not really what i want from a monster hunter movie i do hear something about the one of the leads falling in love with a meowskiller chef which okay i support that but otherwise i don't know what kind of movie we're going to get it looks just really bland and i'm sure as a friend of mine said there's going to be a scene where the characters see a palico and they're going to be like whoa a talking cat and it's going to be really stupid 
It'll make money, and I'm sure Capcom, that's all Capcom cares about. They probably absurd, looked at it and were like, well, the ceiling on this actual franchise is probably somewhat low in terms of Hollywood, and these people want to give us money, so why not? Yeah, basically, we're looking at another Paul Anderson special, which is just perfectly neutral, like those characters from Futurama. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. There was a JRPG that you could see be turned into a live-action Hollywood blockbuster, what would it be, if any? Oh, shoot. I don't know, because that's like a real question to put on the spot. Um, <laughs> the thing could there is, be a Western adaptation of Persona? I think maybe. I think one of the problems with Monster Hunter, and this is something I've said a billion times, is that it's, hard, it's, it's scared to be itself the way that Detective Pikachu was itself. And... I'm getting to the point where I feel like we can't evaluate uh, game-based movies as actual movies. We have to take them for what they are. Sure, they have crazy plots, they have weird characters, but that's what makes them fun. That's what makes them video game movies, you know? Actually, come to think of it, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is basically the Western version of Persona. Yeah, there you go. So and you got the you got the concept already figured out. Uh, high school kids battle the supernatural. You just change up the premise from having vampires to just having demons instead. There you go. Just file off the serial numbers. I mean, Stranger <laughs> Things was basically a tribute to Silent Hill, and it mm. works. I mean, barring that, if you want to have a Western RPG, I'm surprised there hasn't been a Skyrim movie yet. So am I, and I have a feeling that would be one of those or one of those movies that turn out really gray and dull and, and boring, and just uh, I wouldn't be excited to see that. You know what movie is kind of underrated? The mm -hmm. Warcraft movie. I have right. never seen that. I know it was huge in China and it flopped it here. Was, it was it was fine. Like it wasn't. It was very earnest, I think, ah. and very much geared toward Blizzard fans. But it was also kind of a straightforward retelling of blizzard lore but at the same time i didn't mind that much because i like blizzard lore yeah exactly but i think maybe the problem was to an outsider it's like well this is just lord of the rings with a lower budget or whatever and cg orcs which actually looked pretty good yeah i thought the orcs looked okay and the griffins looked okay i didn't think the movie looked that bad i think maybe part of the problem was that warcraft is inherently a dork franchise so it has <laughs> relatively low crossover appeal by dorks for dorks and orcs and the people who are playing world who are invested in warcraft are too busy playing wow to actually go see a movie that's a good point why do they need a movie they got wow right there grinding the movie <laughs> grinding the movie yes <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to the rpg news nadia first thing is first um We've seen the PlayStation 5 UI, Nadia, and it's very bubbly. Yes, it is. I'm worried, though, that there won't be themes. I love themes on my PlayStation 4. Mm, really? Is that like a really huge consideration for you? Not humongous. I mean, I've been dealing with my Switch not having a theme ever, which really annoys me. But I have a really good Night in the Woods theme for my PlayStation 4 that I just love, and I'd hate to lose something like that. I have a really good Valkyria Chronicles theme on my PS4. Oh, do you have you have that? Is that was that like on the store? I it's either on the store or it came as a pre-order bonus for the PS4 remaster. I can't remember if the PS4 remaster was any good. Oh, Valkyria Chronicles. Sorry, I thought you were talking about um, uh, Valkyrie Profile. No, my Valkyrie Profile theme is on the PS3. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but that was a fan-made one back when you could yes. still do fan-made uh, themes, which was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. We, there were some really good ones, but uh, they took mm. that away, didn't they? 
I think so, yeah, because they want to make money on them. I did notice the UI seems to be a lot more streamlined. Like I heard, basically, you don't have to go to the PlayStation Store to, to find out everything you want about the game. And that's a pretty nice step. Can we just note that there just seems to be so many parallels between the PS5 and the PS3 all yes. the way down to the UI? It does. It didn't really remind me of the, the PS3 UI very much, which... I think the Vita also uses. No, the Vita doesn't use that, but the place the PSP did. Sorry, the PS even the PS5 itself brings to mind the PS3 with its chonkiness. Yeah, it is like absolutely humongous. Like that is a chonkster of a console, isn't it? Oh lord, it's coming! Like it's just humongous. <laughs> I don't know where it's gonna fit. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna fit in my existing entertainment setup. I'm a little worried. Yeah, um, I. It's funny, technology gets smaller and the furniture kind of adapts accordingly, but uh, that is not a small console. Then you have the Xbox Series X, which is not much smaller. And they got rid of the freaking DualShock and replaced it with the DualSense, which gives me real six-axis vibes, you know? When I look at that controller, I think of the Panzer Dragoon armor. It just reminds me of that. And I don't like the two-tone colors. I don't know, like... It'll have more games than the PS3. The PS3 had a real games problem out of the gate. Yeah, it did. Where they were trying to push Warhawk on us. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Uh, Lair just breaks my heart because that was supposed to be a Dragonlance game and it just all got screwed up. And Factor (sighs) 5, RIP. RIP Factor 5. What a waste. What a stupid waste. Yeah, and actually Warhawk wasn't too bad, all things considered, but this was when Sony really did not have the... First per first party franchises that it does now. No, Sony really depends on those first party franchises. Uh, the way Nintendo depends on theirs, and that's what makes the system appealing to me. The fact that well, Nintendo has their stuff over here, Sony has their stuff over here. Uh, Microsoft wants me to pay a, a monthly fee to play all the games I could possibly want. So uh, we're we're in <laughs> for a smorgasbord, really. Speaking of Microsoft, so Phil Spencer did a conversation with Kotaku. Wide-ranging conversation. He's done an interview with pretty much everybody except us at this point. <laughs> Someday. <But laughs> Phil Spencer said, I don't want to be... So he, Phil Spencer was asked about Bethesda, actually, and specifically recouping that $7.5 billion investment while keeping them exclusive. And this is what Spencer said in response. I don't want to be flip about that. This deal was not done to take a games away from another player base like that. Nowhere in the documentation that we put together was, how do we keep other players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play games, not fewer people to be able to go play games. But I'll also say in the model, I'm just answering directly the question that you had. When I think about where people are going to be playing and the number of devices that we had, and we have xCloud and PC and Game Pass on our console base, I don't have to go ship those games on any other platform other than the platforms that we are support in order to kind of make the deal work for us, whatever that means. <laughs> I was about to say, I kind of lost the thread at the, around the end there, but I understand what he's saying. And it's funny because I'm actually writing an article right now. It'll go up around the time this goes up, a little later in the day, actually, about how just how vicious the console wars were when I was a kid and how nowadays... Studios are like, oh, you can have our games. I don't care. Especially Microsoft, are just like, do 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 do. Hey, we're not here to take away your games. We just want you to pay for Game Pass. We're we're all cool. Hey, you want Ori on the Switch? Go for it. Whereas, of course, when we were kids in the '90s, Sega was in court for the congressional hearing in 1993 against their violence in video games, and Nintendo just pointed the finger at them and said, "Yeah, look how horrible they are." It was <laughs> it was a bad time for like 
you know, being on the playground, being a Nintendo fan or a Sega fan. And I'm just thinking with the way people on Twitter just brutalize each other now over, oh, you're an X-Bot or, oh, you're a Sony pony. Whereas the two... Sony pony? Is that Sony a pony. thing? I, I looked that up. I said that can't be real, but no, it's a thing. Whoa. Sony pony. And they just... Sony pony. Go with each other over this, over these consoles that are actually like comparatively making nice with each other. It's just so weird to me, but... That's console wars for you. I guess that's any sort of division between humanities. Tribalism. It's total tribalism. Two things. Console wars are dumb. Yes. But also, it's easy for me to be flip about it because I have the means to own all of the video games these days. Exactly. So I'm like, whatever. I'll have a PS5. I'll, I have a gaming PC. I have my Game Pass. But there are plenty of people who can really only afford to have one console, right? Yes, absolutely. I kind of emphasize I kind of emphasize or empathize with them yeah. in the sense that now they have to make a tough choice. You you buy a PS5, well you're going to miss out on Bethesda games just full stop. Mm, I yeah. don't think you're going to be seeing The Elder Scrolls 6 or Starfield and that's rough. Like this past generation, you could own a PS4 and have pretty much everything worth playing short of a handful of like really good PC games. Now, now, like, you have to really decide. And I was kind of going on Twitter, like, maybe the best option is you get Game Pass to be able to play, you know, uh, a Bethesda game and you own a PS5 so that you can continue to have the Sony exclusives or you just decide what matters more to you. But certainly there's not a world where a lot of people, especially in the middle of a global recession that's coming from this pandemic, mm -hmm. are going to be able to afford two $500 consoles. So. No, absolutely not. And I mean, another option, I suppose, is to just wait because I'm sure Microsoft will say, okay, sure, here's here's Sky, uh, Elder Scrolls 6 on PlayStation 4 like a year later, but you, you have to wait. So you get FOMO out of that. It reminds me of the streaming wars, but more so. <laughs> where you have 10 billion streaming services that are like, well, if you want to watch Friends, you better go get uh, and the so Premier League. Bad. You better go watch uh, Peacock. But if you want the Champions League and Star Trek, you better go get CBS. And if you want Sopranos, you got to have HBO. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, can we please find a way to put it all in one place? No, talk that's about, not. Talk about killing the golden goose. So you had Netflix just <laughs> destroying co uh, cable companies for good reason. And then. Everyone realized, hey, we can we can do our own thing and get money out of that. And they just divided everything up and it's all cable again. <laughs> it's terrible. I guess what I'm advocating for is corporate consolidation because Disney just bought everything and put it on Disney Plus, which is not I, I guess this is just, you know, either you have the bad of corporate consolidation or you have the bad of having to have X number of platforms to be able to watch everything. So I guess we can have everything. I guess as consumers, we have to make tough choices, Nanya. We do. Uh, capitalism is a, is a really, really, really harsh mistress. But I imagine that by the time The Elder Scrolls Six comes out, I bet I'm going to put my bets on there being a smart TV app where you can play Game Pass. Oh, now that's interesting. I wonder if that will happen. Either a smart TV app or... Yeah, because I think that even though I, I do believe that there will be a period of ex exclusivity uh, with, say, a big game like Elder Scrolls uh, 6, I could see, again, Microsoft just wants you to have Game Pass. And if they can put it on a smart TV to get that service in your hands and encourage you to, get, to buy it, they will probably do it. That's all they really care about. 
I'm kind of imagining just buying a Samsung TV and there's an Xbox app on it and you can connect your uh, Xbox controller to the actual TV be, and just play that way. And that would be really interesting. I'd like to see that, especially since I'm really overdue for a new TV anyway. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, give it a couple of years. I mean, next year we're going to have xCloud on PC. So Exactly. It's going to be a... It's going to be a year of transition, that's for sure. Microsoft really wants Game Pass to effectively be the equivalent of Netflix. And yes. And they're moving really fast. I think given the choice, I would still buy a PS5 over an Xbox Series X. I think so myself. I think that I wouldn't be sad if I ended up with an Xbox Series X over a PS5. I think there is a ton of really great games on it. No, for me, I'm thinking in terms of the future when I could choose between the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X because it's like, well, who is going to get Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two? Who is going to get the next Persona game 10,000 years from now? I don't think it's going to be Microsoft. I'm thinking in terms of my, my, my precious little Japanese RPGs that I love so much. The correct answer, as I've already mentioned, is PS5 plus a Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. That's, you, can't, you can't lose that way. All right. Continuing onward. So Mike checked out Assassin's Creed Valhalla. He has a hands-on. He talks of quite a bit about RPG-related things, Nadia, specifically mm-hmm. as it pertains to loot and to leveling in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It really delves in. He had expressed concerns about Valhalla before, saying that the world felt a little bit flat. He wasn't really into it. But now that he's played a whole bunch more, he's very much more excited about Valhalla. Very in-depth preview. You should go check it out. It really hits on pretty much everything. Some stand things that stand out to me. Specifically, the quote, there's a header, forging a connection to your gear, Nadia. This mm-hmm. is what Mike has to say. So basically, you don't get as much loot in this game. Uh, they lower the drop rate of gear overall, but at the same time, you upgrade them more. Right. So certain pieces of gear have rune slots that allow you to fix runes that offer bonuses to skills and stats. You can upgrade gear yourself by paying various resources. Each piece of gear has a different upgrade limit, partially depending on the gear's quality. So you're not always swapping it out. And then finally, you can pay a blacksmith to enhance gear, increasing its quality level, unlocking more rune slots, and even changing its appearance. Wow, that's so RPG. <laughs> well, that's the point, right? It is. Just tinkering around with armor slots and you can have runes instead of material or whatever. Yeah. Ubisoft or Ubisoft really sat down and said, you know, we, we want to make basically Witcher, but it's in a historical context. Which and Assassin's like. Creed fans were pushing back against this, but I Assassin's Creed doesn't really have an identity. It didn't, Assassin's Creed can be whatever Ubisoft wants it to be. Yeah, it is quite flexible, although Mike did mention that it this particular formula they're using still, it feels a little long in the tooth if you've played like Odyssey. Really? It's yeah. only been three years since Odyssey came out. Yeah, I know, but he's he said it's still fantastic, don't get me wrong, but he says like, it feels it doesn't really wow like you would like to change the way like say maybe Odyssey did with the open world. Well, Mike is in that class of Assassin's Creed fans who want to go back to Black uh, Black Flag. And I almost said Black Swan. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> back to Black Flag and Unity and that other one. Basically, boring Assassin's Creed. Ubisoft Tower Assassin's Creed. Yes, this is just like my opinion, man. <laughs> but 
Man, I, Assassin's Creed should be so my wheelhouse, Nadia. I should love Assassin's Creed. I love history. I like open world games. Uh, the premise is really interesting to me. And every time I pick up an Assassin's Creed game, it bores the ever-loving crap out of me. Yeah, I have to admit, uh, I will probably give Valhalla a try because I like Vikings and stuff. Yeah, I think I'm Vikings definitely awesome. going to give Valhalla a try. The, like Ubisoft finally hit on the formula that's going to get me. The uh, and did you just like Vikings. see the see the trailer and the immigrant song start just winding up in your head? I'm gonna be flying, floating around in my longboat, going school. <laughs> Hard to believe they crossed the oceans in those things. I did a study on on Vikings in grade seven. You get to build a fort in this game. That's cool. That I like is that idea. Cool. I, I like building towns and forts and places where people can live and and have fun. Like Mike is advocating for uh, an evolution of the series in the next gen and maybe something. And I imagine that he would like more of a straightforward action, something that goes back to Assassin's Creed roots with while also evolving the series. And mm-hmm. he would like to move on from the RPG thing. I want an RPG. Just give me the RPG. Yeah, that's why. See, seeing as I'm not like so I'm not elbows deep into Assassin's Creed. I've only played a couple of games here and there. Like I, I liked Syndicate. I did enjoy that quite a bit. Mm. But that's um, the one syndicate. Everybody's like syndicate. It's a lost classic. Okay. It, it really, it really, I mean, it's not like, oh my God, game of the year, A++++, but it was, had some really fun characters, had a really intriguing story. I remember I played it, mm-hmm. uh, or at least parts of it because I was working on US Gamers Guides at the time. Great times. But uh, yeah, since I'm not like, oh my God, I'm so burnt out on Assassin's Creed, this will be a good opportunity for me. I don't care if the game is like Odyssey. I didn't play Odyssey. I'm just going to enjoy my open world Viking game. Likewise, I did not play Odyssey. I did not put 300 hours into Odyssey like Mike did. Did he put 300 hours? He would, yeah. Never mind. I think he not only put like 200 hours into it, he started a new game. Jeez, that, that man. I love that. But I, I love man that man loves, so much. Man loves himself some Assassin's Creed. But I have to say, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back to a Greek setting in a long time since Hades did it mm. so perfectly. Like, to me, that's mm. that's just perfect. So I'm, Yeah, I'm, you're right. Hades just... I like the setting so much more than either God of War or Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They really... The way that they handled it. Yeah, they really nailed everything about the gods and the myths and, and do it so so quickly and, and briskly where most games about with great gods and them are just like, yeah, we're going to talk a lot. I'm the Let's world mix servant. in my anime BS with Assassin, uh, with uh, <laughs> with Greek myth. Yeah, myths. there you go. I'm I'm sold. Ding. <laughs> that's what that's all Hades had to do was mix all of that stuff together because I oh, love the art in that game so much. Oh, the it's art's gorgeous. so good. It's like, oh, I can ship everybody. Okay, and nobody cares if I'm if I'm having multiple uh, relationships going on at the same time. Sure, I love adorable Cerberus. Ah, uh, so I pet Cerberus every single time. Yeah, I managed to complete another run in Hades while I was on my vacation. It was great. I've only gotten two Hades. Uh, he keeps beating my ass. He's hard. He's hard. He's very hard. But second form is what killed me. Did you unlock the keepsake thing that you can have at each level of the underworld? Yes, I have that. And I have Skelly's Tooth, wherever he got that from. I'm just Make bad sure at games. Make sure to abuse that. And also, farm as much money as possible because you'll, you really want to use the shop as much as humanly possible to continue upgrading yourself. That's true. I don't do that enough. I, I will take that And advice. also to replenish death defiances if you end up losing one. Yeah, I really wish there was more opportunity to replenish those because sometimes, of course, I I see them and I can't afford them. And that's the only chance you usually get. So last thing on Valhalla, another thing that's 
Dan's of interest is the way that they handle both leveling and then also the the balance between the combat where on the one hand you have one hit assassinations but also you want enemies who are stronger than you but also you don't want damage sponge enemies Mm -hmm. yeah this is what happens when you graft rpg elements onto a game series that was never an rpg (laughs) (laughs) that is true so the one hit kills are based on timing so there's a new stun system where parries and heavy attacks open up enemies to a down state, allowing you to catch your breath or execute them. Mm. That is pretty Bringing interesting. up your bow and arrow now highlights random weak spots on an enemy. Hitting those weak spots does enhanced damage and feeds into the stun system again. And doing a perfectly timed dodge once again slows down time. Now the thing that's interesting about the way that they handle the leveling is that in previous Assassin's Creed games with leveling, there would, the enemies were always kind of within you, like within a few levels of you. You could never completely out-level them. Right. In this one, you could just completely out-level them. Like you can out, you can level till the cows come home <laughs> and then you could just kill the heck out of them. You're you an almighty Viking warrior. You whatever. just step on them. Get out of my way. Don't, don't I like waste that my time. idea. It's, I do. It's a, it gets back a little bit to the whole Dragon Quest thing where the root, the beauty of that game was that you could level up if the game was too hard just by grinding but if you were really good with the systems and knew how to abuse them you didn't have to grind no uh, that's exactly like. yeah yeah it, it, it doesn't waste your time by the sounds of it yes so assassin's creed valhalla it comes out next month right on top of cyberpunk and the release of the new consoles we're all gonna die oh my god there. uh I, i'm saying i'm gonna play valhalla but uh waves hands everywhere you know <laughs> Speaking of which, there's another open world RPG that's coming out right around the same time. Oh no! And as Mike also checked out this game, this is the game that I'm more interested in than Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I'm not gonna lie. That's Yakuza Seven. Yes. And I like the idea of it's basically a Persona, but with middle-aged men. <laughs> I love that so much. I was reading Mike's uh, preview, and it's exactly what I want from an RPG. Because how many JRPGs have we played where the, especially nowadays, for some reason, the hero is some snot-nosed kid who maybe I related to when I was 16, but a 16 is long behind me. So I just love the idea of like kind of not exactly losers, but they're, they're really eager men just trying their best and they just want to be heroes and they still have that childlike sense of wonder and they just want to screw some shit up. I'm, I'm down with that. Yakuza Like a Dragon is a great JRPG about middle-aged gig workers. <laughs> exactly. That's you're right. Persona with like middle-aged people, like imagine trying to summon your persona, but you throw out your back. <laughs> the new lead is Ichiban Kasuga, who isn't even technically a Yakuza. He's a former member and was tossed out on his butt. And there are a lot of castoffs and outcasts in his group. Uh, he's joined by fellow homeless man and former doctor Yu Naba, gruff former cop Koichi Adachi, and surly cabaret hostess Saeko Mukoda. Yakuza Like a Dragon takes place in the red light district of Yokohama with Ichiban, Namba, and Adachi having found a roof over their heads in temporary employment at a soapland, a Japanese version of a brothel. I think honestly, like, I have seen a little irritation on Twitter about how uh, game journalists are referencing Final Fantasy and Persona, to be honest, whereas this is strictly like such a Dragon Quest tribute. So being the Dragon Quest geek of the world, I have to, I have to give this a try. I think I might be prioritizing Yakuza 7 in the rush. But it has a job system, Nadia. I can deal. I uh, yeah. can you imagine like getting a job? Like, what do you like? 
what kind of jobs can you possibly have on this on the streets of of Japan? Like fish, I can just imagine fishing gear out of a garbage can and saying, "Like I have a stick. I'm a I'm a wizard now." You know. Well, the thing is that Ichiban and his friends are literally out of work, so they have to get a job that right. centers on various professions. Like that's so cool. There's the though. wrestling based freelancer. There's the protection focused detective. Uh, there are also shared jobs they can unlock. The musician is like the classic RPG bard, ah, singing bards. to buff their allies or weaken the foes, while the foreman uses strong attacks with heavy windups to crush enemies, and the host uses his skills to charm enemies or steal from them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that amuses me so much. It just does. Would you believe that Sayako has her own job uh, classes, like the healing idol? <laughs> of course, of course. Of course, she's the idol. Yes. Whatever, I don't care. She, she can be the healing idol, whatever. But yeah, I like that all the jobs have rough analogs to classic JRPG jobs, but in a Yakuza sense. It kind of so. reminds me, once in a while you stumble across like from, from Japanese television where they parody uh, Dragon Quest or other RPGs with using adults and tropes like that, and they just kind of have a lot of fun with it whenever I watch it. So I look forward to them having fun with this with the Yakuza 7. The musician lowers the attack damage of the entire enemy crew with the We Are the Globe singing skill. <laughs> I can just imagine, stop, stop singing, oh god, you're killing me. While Sayako's hostess throws business cards that can leave the enemy bleeding or crushes them with glass ashtrays. <laughs> I have not seen a glass ashtray since the 70s. I love Japan. There was a Reddit thread where it's just like, the 70s summed up or something like that and it was a mcdonald's branded ashtray yes sorry i said the 70s but uh, of course i was born 1980 i barely barely remember that i barely just on the cusp of my memory remember mm. ashtrays in mcdonald's and those branded ashtrays and my mother and father walking me through a shopping mall in a stroller and they'd be smoking like it's so so faded but it's definitely there so yeah i i'm really excited about yakuza 7 and i can't wait to play it when it comes out i think um I think I'm more excited about that for that than I am for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's, luckily, you can play it on PC if you don't want to, if you aren't planning to pick up an Xbox Series X. So Yeah, so it's available for pretty much everything. It is. It is. And it will eventually be out on the PS5 next year. Of so. course. Yes. Okay, and the final thing that we need to discuss, Nadia, and this is um, a depressing one, I think which is level five, more or less a ceased operations in North America. Yes, that is, that's a shame because I, you can look up on the site. I wrote, I have been the one who wrote up the news and I was looking back at their output for their, you know, the entirety of their life. And they had such a, a really good run of energy and I can't remember if it was the aughts or the early tens or both, but they just kind of really plowed ahead with like those, with Yokai Watch and and Professor, Professor Layton and Professor Layton was a great series. Like uh, Unwound Future is one of the saddest games I've ever played. Believe it or not, his nice little puzzle game just broke my heart. Um, and since then, they've slowed down so much with their output. Uh, I've heard, of course, they're one of their biggest pro, pro, Sorry, one of their biggest uh, franchises, Inuzuma. Sorry, Inuzuma. How do you pronounce it? Inuzuma Eleven. Inuzuma Eleven, and we haven't had one of those games in a long time, or at least they haven't in Japan and Europe. Uh, the latest one has been delayed into 2021 when it should have been out in 2018. So they just haven't had the output that they need to survive, I suppose. And I don't know what their operations were like in North America to begin with, but 
given what a good place they were in, and, and gosh, we're talking about the, the company that made Dragon Quest VIII, one of the best Dragon Quests, um, and of course, Nino Kuni, Nino Kuni 2 was so terrible, it made me so mad. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what happened. There must be, maybe there's something at the higher level. I know that they bought Inafune's company, and that's as Parrish put on the Twitter when the news broke out. That's kind of ironic because, of course, you no know, Inafune said that Western game development was dead, and here's level five. Uh, sorry, that Japanese development was dead, and here's level five. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a sad situation. I think the problem is that level five relied too much on brands and mm. fads. Definitely, yeah, they, they maybe pushed yokai further than they thought they had with more they thought maybe it had more steam than it did yeah i mean this is a company that just a few years ago well close to a decade ago now at this point yeah but they did gundam age they had the keys to the gundam franchise in japan and gundam uh by all accounts gundam age is see has been rehabilitated a bit Mm-hmm. by Bandai Namco, but at the time it was seen as kind of a disaster. That's right. It was bad, wasn't it? Yes, it was very bad. And then they came out and did Yokai Watch, but they kept unlike Pokemon, which was built up over a slow period of time, they just kept releasing tons of Yokai Watch games. Yeah. Yeah. So they was... saturated the market almost immediately. And it never really took off in North America as much as they wanted it to. Um, well, there's a lot of reasons for it not uh, really taking off here. Bad names, natural comparisons to Pokemon without having any of the death. The animated show was on a network that, like, I think it was on a TV network rather than a streaming service, which was yeah, kind of a problem. That's right. It was on cable or something. Yeah. I don't know. They really struck gold with Yokai Watch, and I think they really bungled it. Yeah, that's the that's the word. It just kind of got bungled, and that's a shame. I feel like the West it wasn't really marketed properly because, uh, obviously Western kids don't grow up knowing what yokai is, like yokai are, so they don't really have those legends to latch onto. So to us or to kids, it just kind of look like a bunch of weird Pokemon knockoffs, but even though they're not. And then you look at the rest of uh, Level Five's output, like Layton Professor Layton. You know, it's popular and everything, but. That and Inazuma 11, at a certain point, it's just going to get old. It's not going to be as interesting anymore. Yeah, I feel like Professor Layton really did peak with Unbound Future. Like, that was just fantastic. And then the story just kind of went, they were fine, but they were just went downhill. I am sad that we will never get a conclusion to Mystery Room. I want to know what is wrong with his crazy-ass son who likes who gets off on blood and murder and is just completely out of his mind. <laughs> And when the first game ended, Leighton was coming to talk to him. And that was a cliffhanger that I'll, I'll never get over because I wanted to know, Mr. Leighton, what is wrong with your son? Is he your son? Is he your biological son? Was he adopted? If, if he is your biological son, what went wrong? <laughs> what did you drink before you conceived him? I need to know these answers. I'll never, I'll never get them. Supposedly, Fantasy Life was pretty good. I remember Parrish being really into it. I liked Fantasy Life, but um, I didn't get really, really big into it, really deep into it, because I felt like it lacked focus. And I think that was a problem with a lot of level five RPGs. They gave you these really cool worlds, these really cool concepts that just didn't really focus properly and give you that really meaty hook that you needed to, to really reel you in. Um I'll never forget, though, Nino Kuni 2 hating it so much and playing it and hating myself for playing it. 
I just sat there resenting every second of it and playing it. That's the only time I've done that with a game, and I don't know why to this day. And I do appreciate, though, how the original Nino Kuni is more or less just an anime retelling of The Talisman, which is one of my favorite art fantasy books of all time. Well, we've talked about Level 5 plenty before on this podcast. We've talked about Dragon Quest Eight and Dragon Quest Nine. Uh, we talked about Joan Dark. We talked about Dark Cloud 2, which is That's one right, of their secret best games. Yeah, yeah. And when we get to the PlayStation 3, we'll talk about White Knight Chronicle, which oh, uh, right. was very hyped when it was initially announced back in like 2006 or thereabouts and uh, kind of ended up being a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, that happened a little too often with level five games, I think, especially their big ones. So they would put their energy into these big games that just never really, eh, I don't know how the Inazuma franchise is. I've, I've never played it, obviously. It's not really a big thing over here. Wait, maybe well, I did You don't play like them. soccer games? Not Yay. I, I, didn't we get one of them? I swear I might have reviewed we it. We did. We did, and I, I, I was it's like, on 3DS. yes, I did play that for some reason, and I did kind of like it. I, I thought it was cute. I did play that for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And I remember Fox there being- quote. <laughs> Fox quote. by Nadia Oxford. I did remember there being an NPC with the last name Eisner, which was my maiden name, and I'm like, all right, I finally found an Eisner in a game. That's so awesome. And then at the, of course, the protagonist now of, of Fire Emblem Three Houses has the last name Eisner, and so that's as good as it gets. Well, my hope is that level five is able to turn around and maybe get back to the roots a little bit. It sounds like things aren't going extremely well for them this generation. Maybe all things must come to an end. A lot of companies ultimately go away after a sustained period of success, but level five has shown in the past that it is capable of spinning up a, a real mega hit. Yes. And I think they still have the chance and the energy yeah. to turn it around, but they do have a problem that they have to work on right now. In the meantime, though, they can't really self-publish in North America. I think that's the upshot of it. I think they're going to have to just rely on other companies to publish for them. Yeah, and that's kind of been the case for a while. Like Nintendo the has Atlas's published and the Xseeds and whatnot. The Xseed, Nintendo, and worst comes yep. to worst, maybe we'll we'll get European localizations, UK English. Uh, one thing that really made me angry about the Layton games is that. They gave me puzzle, like we got the American localization and they gave me puzzles in metric and I, sorry, not metric and Imperial. And I don't know Imperial that well. So I, I would be stuck. Finally, in the latest, in the last games they released here for Layton, they finally gave Canadians the Imperial, the, sorry, the metric system. But, you with Canadians in your metric system. <laughs> the metric system is the tool of the devil. All right. That's all of the news. Let's continue on to our main topic. Don't go away. Okay, Nadia, this episode's turning out to be a little bit of a smorgasbord episode, as <laughs> it were. Just a bit. We got a couple of main topics, actually, and they are suggested by our readers this week. That's nice. So, the first one, it's from, uh, I went digging in my DMs because I've been kind of keeping this one in my back pocket. It came from a couple weeks ago when Star Wars Squadrons came out. Um, it's from Ellie Fitch, and they said, Hiya, Cat. I got an Axe of the Blood God mailbag question for you. I'm also excited for Star Wars Squadrons, and it's been interesting to see a space sim get funded published by blending it with a multiplayer team shooter. 
feels like a primary single player space shooter with an expansive campaign like TIE Fighter would have been a non-starter from a publisher's perspective. Are there any other underappreciated subgenres of RPG that you could feel could get a new lease on life by melding with a mass appeal formula the way Star Wars Squadrons did? I thought that was an interesting question because in a lot of ways we've already kind of seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it happen most notably maybe with roguelites becoming roguelites. Yeah, that's a that's a big one because I think with roguelites, they're a lot more appealing to people than roguelikes. What often you'll see is you'll see a very dense and niche genre find mass appeal because you strip away a lot of the complexity while keeping the stuff that people find the most appealing. Like with roguelikes, it's... Get away, get rid of all of those crazy identification tests and the extremely painful permadeath and you get Hades, a game where, yeah, you have permadeath and you can have a run interrupted, but it's okay because you're always growing. You're always growing. There's no wasted runs. You, there's always something to get out of it. Uh, it doesn't feel inherently unfair like a lot of uh, roguelikes. It's funny that we, we were kind of talking about this because you think about how the first Dragon Quest was invented and why, which is because, well, let's strip away all the complex stuff and focus on giving people a fun anime story and a really easy battle system where they don't have to worry about the numbers. The computer takes care of that. Yeah. I mean, they always said that Dragon Quest was basically, what, Ultima and Wizardry, but yep. then kind of slimmed down into a digestible format that was like a Jump Magazine comic come to life. That's basically what it is, because with Wizardry and, and all those games, they're quite complicated, especially for younger players. That, but Dragon Quest the computer handles all this, uh, the hard stuff. You just have to concentrate on pressing A when the slime approaches. Maybe a a less positive variation of this is the way that MMORPGs became Destiny. Like uh, shoot-em-ups? Or just yeah. like... Well, I mean, we had WoW. Uh-huh. Which, in a lot of ways, was actually a fairly complicated game with all of the different classes and the amount of depth that you could put into creating your game. And right. then they're just like, well, what if we combine that with a bit of Diablo and we get Destiny, a game that's really just a shooter with some very light uh, loot collection and class elements. Yeah, you can. There are plenty of guides out there and lots of currencies and lots of things to del- delve into. But at its, at its heart, it's a very slimmed down MMORPG kind of situation. I have a feeling someone's going to I think that's like you. the closest you're going to get to really, truly combining a different genre with like a mass appeal kind of thing, which is a, a shooter like Destiny. Yeah, usually if you want mass appeal, you can't really go wrong with shooters. I thought it was funny that people were discovering MMORPGs for the first time when they were playing Destiny and they were like, what? Really? What's going on? Why is it so buggy? <laughs> Where's Welcome our content? Welcome to the future. Welcome People to the sitting future. in the damn loot cave. Yes. And also, it felt like <laughs> Destiny made all the same mistakes that World of Warcraft made a decade before when it came to upgrading the loot with its various expansions. I, I was just kind of shaking my head. I was like, they figured this out 10 years ago. How are you doing this again? I don't know why upgrading loot in MMORPGs is such a bear. Like, it can be, sometimes it's easy in Final Fantasy XIV, but I am, just to give people a shiver down their spines as they play Final, Final Fantasy XIV, I am on the Isle of Eureka trying to get, trying to grind for this stupid armor that I want. And it, it's just so stupid. It's dumb, but I want it because I can die it. I think the classic dungeon crawler formula basically became Dark Souls. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. When I think dungeon crawler, I think I think SMT. I think first person line up with a lot of enemies, usually enemies that can kick your ass, and usually you get harsh punishments for dying. I mean, Dark Souls is basically third person wizardry. <laughs> yeah, it's funny though. The third person throw, kind of throws me off that idea, but I can see where you're coming mm -hmm. from. I think I compared it to the original Zelda as well. You did. We have that. had we we have had discussions about Zelda and Dark Souls. Yeah. So I mean, which is funny because nobody would have ever called Dark Souls mass appeal back in the day. No, definitely not. It was extremely niche, and it's only become a phenomenon like over a, a long period of time thanks to word of mouth. But more so, but it still had more mass appeal than say Wizardry, just by virtue yes. of it, the fact that it's an action game. Exactly. Um, I think that's really uh, appealing to a lot of people, having an action game versus a menu-based game. Okay, so here are some of my ideas to answer this question. This notion of combining a subgenre or a concept within RPGs with a mass appeal thing and creating something new and interesting, okay? First idea, a squad-based multiplayer tactics RPG. That would be really cool, although I'd make bad choices and die and kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine getting together like four or five friends and you all have a character that you've rolled up together and there's a map. And each turn you can, you can sit down and discuss what you want to do. Be like, okay, how are we going to go about this? Well, I'm going to move over here. I'm, you move over there. You move over there. And I'll move over here. And then everybody can go and execute their particular turn. and coordinate how they attack enemies and how they tackle a particular map yes that's the kind of game where you would really need a strong leader in charge because if mm -hmm. you had me lead the squad i'd be like Durr? oh i don't know oh, <laughs> go over here it's empty there go, go there i think back a lot to dragon quest 9 which mm -hmm. just really was brilliant in the way that it combined mmo concepts with turn-based uh combat and uh, co-op and that kind of thing. I, I'm sad that we don't have more games like DQ9. It's funny. That was a very unique sort of game with a formula that worked really well. And we just never seen it repeated like that. Mm -hmm. Nadia, do you have an idea for me? Uh, Maybe like a, a, a Battle Royale first-person dungeon crawler. Mm. Kind of like we have like everyone's really into Among Us and... Uh, sorry, like not Among Us. Uh, Fortnite. Fortnite. That's... <laughs> They both That's have a battle color, royale. They both have colorful characters I'm going on. I think more like Mario 35. Yes, Mario 35. It's excellent uh, battle royale game. Probably the only battle royale game I've really, really gotten into. And mm. it could probably work for an RPG. Um, you'd have to work on the timing, however. It could be a little bit slow. Because, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you could basically supercharge the way that people are leveling up in it. Yes. Okay, yes. so this is what I'm imagining when you say uh, Dungeon Crawler Battle Royale. You are basically going through your own dungeon and you're fighting monsters. And as you defeat them, you level up. And as you level up, you're making choices for your party. Mm -hmm. And maybe even recruiting characters as you go. And then when you defeat enemies, you can send them to other games. That would be kind of cool. And thinking about it. Persona 5 has something that's not exactly like that, but you can call in other players to help you if you're having trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like 
it'd be really interesting if you're kind of struggling with a boss and all of a sudden some jerk sends you a bunch of a bunch of mob enemies to harass you while you're trying to defeat this boss that would be oof that would be rough you have to imagine that every dungeon would be randomly generated right so you would just continue moving up in the dungeons and so maybe the loot loot drops in turn would be kind of um randomized like maybe you could have it where you have monsters in a given dungeon and there's a maybe one percent chance that it will drop a particularly good piece of equipment Mm -hmm. like i don't Mm -hmm. know the sword of light yeah sword of kings (laughs) and if you're lucky enough to get the sword of light off for a particular drop you can start just carving through enemies and then if you're <laughs> if you and you could end up being in a situation where you're just ahead of other people and you're able to send more powerful enemies their their way. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um yeah, that would be pretty cool. I actually one thing I really like about Super Mario 35 is the random element of the the power up where you collect a certain amount of coins, I think it's 20, and if you're in a lot of trouble, you kind of take that chance and and hit the roulette and that can save your life and let's say get a star. In doing so, you plow through enemies and you give other players a whole bunch of problems to deal with. And you can really turn the tide around. It's really exciting. That It'd be weird to play an RPG with that kind of pulse-pounding action, but I could get used to it. People would get annoyed by the RNG elements of this hypothetical game. But True. if you made it a little bit like Slay the Spire, where you had to make smart choices on the fly in terms of drafting your randomly generated abilities... Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, being able to recognize when a particular ability is very good and being able to add them to your particular character or being able to recognize when a piece of loot is really good would be like really key to being able to build out your characters on the fly while also outlasting everybody. Yeah, I can see becoming the kind of game where you get a really like tight community around it, sharing a whole bunch of information and, and tips and drops. And if you were doing the party building on the fly as well, being able to recognize which characters are the best and which ones aren't as good. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That would be an so important you build skill. A char- you build a party on the fly with special abilities and you're trying to just get through as many dungeons as possible. And if you can get the right build, you can just wipe your way through enemies really fast and send them to your opponents who... <laughs> might be behind you and then suddenly have a giant ogre who does a total party wipe and you're like oh no oh, crap wow that sounds that sounds brutal i like or it. even worse you're trapped on like a fairly hard boss and then all of a sudden you get multiple enemies coming in as well yes exactly i was just i was envisioning that earlier that would be oof that would be harsh that'd be kind of fun if somebody actually designed that it would I'd be it. it would take work but i think it could be done I think it would work best as a first-person dungeon crawler kind of situation, but you could also do it like a Final Fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So you may have heard that Among Us is popular. Yeah, I heard a thing or two about that game with the jelly beans there. That is so weird that that game came out of nowhere. Yeah, it's been out for, what, two years? And I think a streamer yeah. uh, boosted its popularity and goes to show what Twitch no is all No joke. About. I was just on Reddit one day, and all of a sudden Among Us comics were everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing those Among Us comics and not knowing what they were from. I was like, did the kids discover a new meme or something? I was like, what the heck is this? Why? Is yeah. And they just, they were flooding the gaming subreddit. And then uh, all of a sudden Among Us was at the top of Twitch. I'm like, what? <laughs> yep. People love the game. Can you imagine the game developer just waking up one day and going, 
What? Why is all this money the in my back game account? On Twitch? Everybody's buying our game. We're at the top of Steam. What the heck just happened? I kind of like what happened with Five Nights at Freddy's, I suppose. Just the right streamer latched onto the right game and boom. Yeah. It just shows that we don't matter at all. It's all streamers. You should just quit. It's all, it's all about the youngsters these days. We should become we should become influencers, Nadia. Then we can then we can make things popular. Oh God, I can you imagine me as an influencer. I don't know what I'd even be like. I just be like become yep. an uber popular influencer and then be like, you know what the coolest game is? Dragon Quest. Nobody wants an influencer <laughs> who's a forty year old woman. I'm pretty, or do they? I mean, uh, they have eighty year old grannies who are influencers. Come on. Have you ever so heard cute. of Skyrim Grandma? Skyrim Grandma's adorable, though. I mean, how could you not love Skyrim Grandma? We should Skyrim get Skyrim Grandma. Grandma on the podcast. That'd be great. We should. That'd be a lot of fun. How have we not had Skyrim Grandma here yet? Oh, yeah. Vote for Skyrim Grandma, everyone. Everybody, put us in touch with Skyrim Grandma. <laughs> that, that would be a lot of fun, actually. Okay, here's my idea. Mm-hmm. A mafia-style game that's repurposed in an RPG style. So have... A RPG party that's ostensibly trying to complete tasks like setting up camp, battling enemies, uh, gathering resources, but one person is an imposter from sent by the the Dark Shadow Lord. That would be kind of sad in a way because whatever you're with, when you play when you play Among Us, it's just like a brief snippet. You know, here's the game. Okay, it's over. Great, let's play another one. An RPG, it's like you're with this party for such a long time. And for some reason, I'm just picturing, like, the camping scenes in Final Fantasy XV and how happy and fun they were and just one jerk ruining everything with the minute the boys turn their back. That would be so sad. Maybe. But also, it, it would... I think there is a natural element of role-playing, like a tabletop RPG or, like, Critical Role or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you did it right, it could really tap into that kind of primal um, aspect of working together as a party. I think right. the trick would be finding a way that the imposter has to kind of work with the party in some ways or to advance the goals because it would be too easy for the imposter to backstab while you're fighting, you know, <laughs> an ogre. Or or be like Final Fantasy uh, 6 where Shadow takes off in the middle of the battle because like, oh, I've earned my fee. Goodbye. Like there might be a situation where you're in a battle with the rest of your party and if you don't just... If you don't help at all, A, you're exposing yourself, and B, the monster's going to kill you. Yeah. So you kind of have to be careful with uh, balancing those those options. Yeah. You just got to find a way to surreptitiously kill the party. Like, poison. what if you uh, swap healing potions with poison potions? Yeah. Ooh, that's devious. I like that. Okay, that's uh, that's 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 like one of my ideas. Set up a set up. I don't know, like put some meat near the camp so that a, a bear or whatever gets <laughs> gets pissed off and kills someone. But of course, if you or being able to accidentally accidentally aggro enemies, accidentally aggro uh, enemies to the rest of the party, Whoops-y-doo. or find a way to separate our party members so that they're separated out and alone and getting killed by monsters. Uh, sabotage weapons. That would be a good one. Or like just surreptitiously putting some kind of weapon or some kind of debuff on a weapon. Yeah, exactly. Because I guess sabotage would be too obvious. Just as you debuff. But that, gets to the, but that gets to the point where what you could do is sabotage armor. Mm, so that mm. it's like, oh, no, a party member died. Oh, too where bad. did that hole come from? That what that a shame. <laughs> oh, no. Stop. Anyway. 
the spell of protection didn't work, and then they just got stomped by the ogres, but we managed to barely survive. Yeah, that would be a pretty fun, that would be a pretty fun idea. A little tense, but fun. Emergency meeting. I think the dog is the imposter. <laughs> the dog is never the imposter. The dog is sus. The dog is innocent. The dog is always innocent. <laughs> All right, Nadia, last idea. Hit me up. How about a, you know, turn-based Final Fantasy, but in a more larger, open, reactive world? Like, okay. maybe something like Final Fantasy fifteen in that vein, except, number one, you have turn-based battles. Number two, the open world is actually a lot more open and a lot more interactive than what it is in the game itself. So Final Fantasy meets Skyrim. Something like that, yes, with, mm. with turn-based battles. Well, open world games are all the rage these days, aren't they? They certainly are. And, uh, well, heck, I'd go for it. I mean, I love yeah. Dragon Quest Ele- But even Dragon Quest Eleven is not an open world game. You are kind of stuck to, not exactly corridors, but chunks of land. That's the thing with JRPGs is that so much of them are very, like, straightforward. Yes. I mean, this goes back to the days of early, like, the original Dragon Quest versus Ultima, right? I feel like even Dragon Quest, though, the original, um, was quite free. It, mm-hmm. you, it didn't restrict you. But it had a very straightforward and linear storyline. Oh, absolutely. Like, you, you had one goal, maybe two if you wanted to You're not to making the choices. No, there are no choices to make, you, but thou must. I feel like there is a lot of hay to be made in a open world heavily open world game like cyberpunk or witcher 3 but basically with anime aesthetics mm-hmm. i would love to play that because the one thing that tends to turn me off more than anything when you have an open world game is great visuals I, I don't know how skyrim ran me uh ran me over how skyrim won me over but it did i mean even genshin impact so like genshin impact is a hint at the potential of that you know that's not turn-based though it's not but it is an open world game that right. has a like heavy dose of exploration to it in a so, way that you don't often see in a lot of Japanese games, I feel. Yeah, because, I mean, of course, we have Breath of the Wild, speaking of Genshin Impact. But Breath of the, Genshin Impact is much more of an RPG than then, Breath yeah, of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is kind of an RPG in the, in the barest sense. Speaking of Genshin Impact, I've been playing it still. It's okay. I, I deleted mine because I couldn't get it to run on PlayStation 4, and it's like, why am I playing really? this? I could be playing, like, Trails of Cold Steel or Final Fantasy XIV. It's getting a little boring for me, I'm not going to lie. There is going to be a... I mean, what level are you at? I'm like, I just hit Adventure Rank 10. Right. So I can continue on with the story now. Uh-huh. But it's all a little brainless. Yeah, I don't see anything about the story that really appeals to me. Yeah, That's the story is pretty dumb. The characters don't really appeal to me. There's nothing about the systems that are like, oh my god, this is so interesting. It's all kind of your typical currency-based free-to-play stuff. Yeah, and that's fine. It's free, and you can yeah. decide if you want to spend money or not. I can see why people are totally hooked on this game, but and like I've enjoyed what I've been playing it, but I've been streaming it and everything, and having a reasonably good time with it, but I don't see any reason that it's going to hold my attention when Yakuza 7 comes out. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're coming upon like a glut of really incredible AAA plus RPGs. So you're going to be abandoning Genshin Impact sooner or later. Come to terms with it, cat. I think that if you did a nostalgic kind of game that looks like Final Fantasy VI, but then yes, you had an well. enormous world and you had tons of player choice, that mm-hmm. might go over pretty well, honestly, especially if you put it on Switch. I think so. 
I think maybe people would be very excited about Final Fantasy 16 if it was an open world game with a turn-based battle system. So basically do Final Fantasy 10, but have, or Final Fantasy 13, but with a much larger open world kind of aspect like Final Fantasy 15. Yeah, I, I guess so. But Final Fantasy 15's open world felt a little incomplete. Although, hmm. you know what? I hear they did a lot of work on the game and I never really went back to it after they all did. the work was done. So I don't know if they improved the open world much. Not really. <laughs> um, the open world was definitely my favorite part of the game. Just being able to drive the Regalia around or just taking a chocobo and walking around and, and setting up my Coleman camp, which exists in the Final Fantasy universe because I guess it does. Yeah, in 2020, if you want to make a game mainstream, you either make it a multiplayer game or you make it open world. Exactly, yeah. Open world is still extremely hot, and I feel bad for developers because those are, those are really hard games to develop. Or make it a roguelite. Yeah, there you go. Make yourself a roguelite. But make sure everyone's hot, otherwise it's not going to go anywhere. I think out of all of these ideas, I like my first-person dungeon crawler battle royale the most. I kind of like the Mafia slash uh, Among Us oh. idea. RPG feel, Among Us? RPG Among Us. I feel like that could yeah. get really, just really disturbing in a, in a good way. Yeah, especially if you could bring in actual role-playing. Exactly. It's like, no, no, I, I'm i just a humble dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want gold and I didn't gems. do anything. I just got my axe and my mead. <laughs> Dwarves are innocent. All right. Thanks to Ellie Fitch for the provocative topic. I really enjoyed talking that about was that. Fun. Yeah. And if you have a topic that you want to send in, you can reach me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. That's cat with a K. Or send me a DM on Twitter. My DMs are open, the underscore catpod. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, it's time for the track of the week, the segment in which we explore the musical history of RPGs because music is so very, very important to the genre that we love. Nadia, it's the 10th anniversary of Fallout New Vegas. Wow. And everybody has decided now that Fallout New Vegas is one of the best games in the series, including us. Mm -hmm. We put it on our top 25 RPG countdown, whereas I don't think we put any Bethesda RPGs outside. Oh, wait, we put Morrowind on there. We did put Morrowind, yes. Morrowind does not Fallout New Vegas. No. Like the rest of the Fallout series, Fallout New Vegas has some distinctive music, including this song. See if you recognize it. Oh, give me a home where the big horners roam, where the mole rat and the fire gecko play, where seldom is heard. A discouraging word And my skin is not glowing all day Home, home on the wastes Where the mole rat and the fire gecko play Where seldom is heard a discouraging word And my skin is not glowing all day Where the rats ain't too high The water's not bad The rats corpse are playful and mild Oh, I would 
can't exchange this home on the wastes for all the big cities so wild. All right, Nadia, that was Home on the Wastes, which obviously is basically home on the range, mm. but a humorous version. Kind of a, <laughs> a, yeah, a humorous version that you'd sing if you were, well, on the wastelands, the irradiated wastelands, the deserts. And the lyrics are, Oh, give me a home where the big horners roam, where the mole rat and the fire gecko play, or seldom is heard a discouraging word and my skin is not glowing all day. And then it just keeps going like that. <laughs> it keeps going like that. Uh, first of all, if your skin is glowing, you have a problem. I don't think you're long for this world. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, a, it's funny. It's a really it's obviously like a darkly humorous song, because it is the kind of thing you'd expect a settler on the wastes to sing. It's basically a song about well, hey, can I have some food that's not irradiated, please? Can I have some clean water? Can I have shelter from these monsters that relentlessly kill me? So it's a kind of melancholy, but in a really funny way. I like that they have references to older Fallout games as well. Like one of the lyrics is where the Master's Great Armies once plagued, which is a <laughs> reference to one of the earlier Fallout games. That's pretty good. That's clever. And the rads Aww. ain't too high. The water's not too bad. Can you imagine like, I don't think rad scorps are ever going to be cuddly, but. Uh... I hate rad scorps. Uh, they're the worst. Uh, the only thing worse is a death claw. I, I hate the mire lurks. They scare the crap out of me. Those are Fallout, right? Or those? Yeah, those are in Fallout. Those Duh. are. I don't yeah, know. Fire Lurks are terrible. Yeah, because one time I was playing, I was playing Fallout Three, and I was minding my own business, and I turned around, and suddenly there was a Mire Lurk like a few steps away from me. I nearly screamed. It was terrible, and it was the way it moves. It runs very swiftly. In Fallout Four's DLC, there are a lot of Mire Lurks. Ah, <sighs> hate them. They're based on horseshoe crabs, which are creepy to begin with. So a few things about Home on the Waste. First of all, I think it does a really good job of capturing Fallout New Vegas's particular sense of humor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it also reflects the setting where Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 were very much on the East Coast because Bethesda is very much an East Coast oh, studio. Yeah. Fallout New Vegas is very much out West because Obsidian is very much out West here in California. <laughs> That's a very Stephen King sort of thing. When Stephen King's in the West, he writes about the West. When he's in the East, he writes about the East. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> <laughs> and other main accents as well. Indeed. The other thing is that it was actually sung by Josh Sawyer, who was the lead designer of Fallout New Vegas. He composed it and put it together and ultimately performed it as the lonesome drifter in New Vegas, a man who travels and sings on the road to find his vanished father. Yes, he's kind and of a sad character. You wrote, the tune is familiar, but the new lyrics are funny and a good reflection of what it's like to survive in a desert that's showered with fallout. What I, what, when you think about it, it's primarily a plea for clean water, radiation-free food, and wildlife that won't kill and eat you. What else can you hope for in the New Vegas wastelands? Yeah, more or less. It's basically a wish list. The guitar is drummed by fellow employee Nathaniel Chapman. It's not exactly the soul-stirring medley for, performed by Uematsu or Mitsuda, but it sure gets the point across. Yeehaw, partner. <laughs> I had to add the yeehaw, you understand. I will admit that I mostly prefer the kind of 1920s uh, music that you'll find in Fallout 4 and that kind of thing. Everybody loves that music from the 20s and the 30s, the Andrews sister kind of stuff. Yeah, um, but even, I don't even have much nostalgia for that, so not, my, not me so much. Oh, it's very much me. Because my parents are very young. 
yeah, my parents were extremely young, so I grew up listening to a lot of Jethro Tull and Pink Floyd and Eagles. Oh. All right, let's wrap up with one last piece uh, with a couple of final mailbag comments. The first is from Nate Mockler. Love the podcast and your Xbox discussion. I think a very underrated part of the Xbox 360 that made such a great RPG console is the speed and volume in which great games were produced. During that generation, we had three Mass Effects, two Fallouts, two Elder Scrolls games. Contrast that with the current generation where we had one bad Mass Effect, <laughs> one Fallout, and zero Elder Scrolls games. Oh, no. Mass, Mass Effect is so beloved because I spent three games playing through the same character in a short span of years. Thoughts? Yeah, you're not wrong. No. I mean, we got the entire Mass Effect trilogy and two Fallout games and two Elder Scrolls games. That's a freaking bounty of riches there, you know? I wonder if it's because uh, we were talking about how the Xbox 360 was built basically with off-the-shelf parts. So anyone who could program for a PC could program for the Xbox 360. And by that point, PC gaming was was in a, a pretty good place. Uh, the developers really had their – they knew what they were doing. So they were able to just kind of go ahead and say, oh, well, let's put this on the Xbox too. And just everything was – that's true. Everything was a little more speedy. Everything was uh, was out. Now it's uh, there's a big wait for everything. I think we're just at a point where building an open world game takes forever. There is that too. Everyone needs everything to be open world and it's just, uh, well, sure, I love open world games, but uh, they are not easy to program. Also, Bethesda was willing to handle hand the keys to the Fallout series to Obsidian and then after Fallout New Vegas, they weren't willing to do that anymore. Oh, right. That's true. Yeah. That probably didn't help. Though, I mean, so they've made, so they made Elder Scrolls Oblivion released that in early 2006 and then five years later they put out skyrim yeah yeah and then they put out fallout 3 in between now none of these and skyrim was quite large it was a very large game yeah of course it was huge for the time it's still pretty huge yeah it is still very huge i don't know like i think they how do you top skyrim how do you top fallout 4 i think some of it is that they realize now that they have to very much upgrade the engine yes. and build things <laughs> from scratch. They can't just reuse it. And we got no. Fallout 76 in the interim, and that was a total bust. And that was also with the old engine, wasn't it? Which did not help. And then BioWare just kept tripping over its own feet, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, which might not have been its fault. And they put out Dragon Age Inquisition, and that was good, you know. And then, the, But that took... That took longer than they probably really intended to actually make. And then Mass Effect Andromeda came around and that was Womp. Uh, <laughs> not amazing. And then nah. of course Anthem again. Yeah, I so I think it's just all where your resources go. I bet Bioware could have put out a Mass Effect trilogy, another Mass Effect trilogy, but Andromeda was just terrible. So that really short circuited everything. Yeah, I I feel like these days also another problem is that say a game gets less than like 85% on Metacritic, uh, the publishers, particularly the big publishers, won't consider a sequel for a long, long time, if ever. Well, if you're going to spend tens of millions of dollars and have hundreds, if not thousands of employees working on a single game over the course of almost a decade, it better yeah. freaking be good. Exactly. That's all I can say. Here's yeah. the thing, though. Yes, the Mass Effects and the Fallouts took a backseat a bit more to this generation, but in the process, we got Witcher 3. That's true. I mean, yeah. when the other franchises step aside, you get kind of room for some new franchises. Kind of filling flourish. in the gap. And we're going to get Cyberpunk this generation as well. Like, yeah. I consider it a current generation game. Yeah, so. I do too. Yeah, so we got new games. 
There are things to play. I haven't been following Baldur's Gate 3 too closely, but now that I know it's turn-based instead of real-time with pause and learn more about the game, it sounds perfect. It also sounds like it delivers on Dragon Age Origins' promise better than DAO did. I'm definitely getting it after early access, if I can wait. My tang leg status on other sites ha- has been I dream in turn-based. This sounds like a breath of fresh air in the face of the avalanche of action RPG games constantly coming out. Hey, we have another turn-based advocate here. Yay, blood for the blood god. <laughs> All right. Thank you, the Skyward Shadow and to Nate Mockler and to everybody who wrote in if you want to write into our mailbag or send in a topic or send in a track of the week. We always like having mm-hmm. somebody submit a track of the week. Find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot or send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or just leave a comment on the show notes. We see all three of those and we may be able to see stuff. In the meantime, that's it for our episode. Thanks to everybody for sticking around and listening as always. You can follow me on social media at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash catbaileytv. Leave us a review. We always enjoy seeing your reviews. They really brighten our day and they help the visibility of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every single Wednesday. We will be back next week, as always, to talk more about the wonderful world of RPGs. Nadia, we're not too far away from the next generation console launch. I can feel it. And so many RPGs are coming out next month. This is the calm before the storm. It's definitely the calm before the storm. And I'm just kind of like sitting, trying to prepare myself, even though I cannot prepare myself. I have a a goal for this year, Nadia. Mm Mm-hmm. My goal is to finish the console RPG quest in the calendar year 2020. That's a good idea. I will help you with this goal. That leaves us with the Wii, the PS3, the 3DS, uh, the PS4, and the Xbox One. Is that like five? Oh, and the Wii U. That's six. And no, the, the Vita, Wii U seven. probably bundled with something else, frankly. <laughs> we have seven years. Do we have seven weeks left in the calendar year? I think we do, but it might actually be a little tight. <laughs> It might be a little too tight, but honestly, we probably yeah. could bundle the Wii and the Wii U. Just, just saying. That's true. I, no, no, the Wii U gets its own day in the uh, wait. Poor Wii U. The Wii U stands are going to come after us. Ah, uh, well, I love you. You're, you're good. Yeah, everybody always turns off the podcast at this point, anyway. So we, don't, don't turn we, off the podcast. Maybe the Wii U huh? stands won't hear us. This is where, this is where we just, you know, shoot the shit. It's all right. All right, we'll be back next week. And until then, for Natty myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. <laughs>